your Bibles to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. This, uh, this chapter is, uh, it's a, there's, this is kind of a break in, again, in the action. It's a, it's a one commentator called it a, a seam or a, or a hinge uh, uh, in, in the book of Exodus. And it's, uh, it's, the, it's the chapter that prepares us for the receiving of God's law. And um, it's interesting, you know, we, the people of God, they left Egypt, God set them free with the promise of being in the land of promise, the land He promised to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and they set out, instead of heading northeast, they headed uh, southeast. And what's very obvious at this point is this: this was never a detour. And if you if you're reading, if you're kind of maybe reading Exodus for the first time, or imagine being God's people as they're setting out, they're they're eagerly anticipating the promise and and the and the and the benefits of being God's people. But God had to show them something very important first. That he is a God of holiness, of righteousness, and the privilege of being a recipient of the promised land and all the promises that come, responsibilities come with it. Um, Sinai was not a, a just a detour, it was a destination, it was... Um, one commentator put it this way, it was like one of the most grand, elaborate visual aids ever performed. Before they entered into this relationship with God and received, they needed to know first, they needed to hear from Him. They needed to receive His Word. And as we come to chapter 19, they, they're coming to Sinai and do you know how long they were there? They, they camp at the foot of Sinai and they're there for the better part of a year. And everything that happens in the rest of Exodus is at the foot of Mount Sinai. And actually, they don't set out from there until we get to Numbers 10. This isn't important. They, they, they park a while. They're there for a long time. And there's a series of events that happen that you could kind of break down as... Ascensions, you know, Moses goes up this and down this mountain from this point to Numbers 10 seven times. And the first three times are in this passage. Moses really gets his steps in, doesn't he? <laughs> um, he three times he goes up and comes down and goes up and comes down. Here we see what Jethro said. Jethro said last week, last time we looked, was you need to focus on being the mediator. In the very next chapter, the very next section, you see Moses being the go-between, the mediator between God and his people. Yahweh um, comes and descends on Sinai to speak his word, 
to speak the truth, to speak the law, to speak the covenant to God's people. And it's important enough not to be rushed, not to just uh, give, give us the quick, send us the tablets and be on our way. They're there for a year. Communing with God, hearing from God, learning how to uh, draw near to God, and also learning, as you're going to see, how they're unable to keep His law. So before we read this, chapter 19 of Exodus, let's pray. Lord God, we do, we do need your help. Help us to see not only your power and your holiness and your righteousness here this morning, but also to see your covenant faithfulness, your love for your people, and your abundant grace. Help us to see, help us to hear, help us to believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord, Yahweh, has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the, uh, the, of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, um, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day... The Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. That is, with an arrow. Okay. Um, Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Yahweh had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. 
And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up and and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There's three things I want us to see in this passage that are here in this passage. First... The first thing is that grace is the context of the covenant. Grace is the context of this covenant. Second, Israel must prepare to be in God's presence. And third, Yahweh reveals both His perilous glory and His loving provision. That's all here in this text, I promise. <laughs> so first, what we see here uh, is uh, not a new covenant. And that needs to be very clear. Sometimes, and there's some bad teaching out there, just to be frank, that this constitutes something brand new that God's doing. But we know... That that's not true. That God comes to Israel. Why? Because He made a promise to do so. When? A promise to, Je to, to Joseph. And why did He do that? Because He had made a promise to who? To Jacob. And why did He do that? Because He made a promise to Isaac. And why did He do that? Because He made a promise to Abraham. And so, God hears His people's cries in the beginning of Exodus and draws near because of His covenant promise. This is an extension. This is an elaboration, an expansion on the covenant of grace that God made with His people going all the way back to Genesis 3. Why did a promise need to be made? Why did something new need to happen then? Because the covenant of works, man failed. Adam failed. He didn't keep it. He could not obey. So therefore there had to be a new covenant, a new promise, a new understanding that now instead of man uh, you know, achieving and, and earning his way to God and being obedient, now God had to put things right. And God had to defeat the enemy. And He promised that He would. And everything that happens is helping us understand as He unfolds this plan, this covenant of, of redemption, this covenant of grace. And this is yet another chapter in the same covenant. Now God has made them a nation. Now God has made them numerous. A million plus. Maybe even two people. And now he's promised what? That third part was to give them a land. But before that, 
He gives them, he, he elaborates on this covenant promise. He gives them not only who he is and what he's done, but he gives them stipulations. And this is how a covenant worked. This was a common uh, way that uh, a lord or a king would deal with his subjects. There would be an official contract, a covenant. And we see the first three parts of that, uh, that official contract covenant laid out. First, the first two steps in a covenant back in that day was a, a preamble. That's the first step. Who is this overlord or king? And he says that here in these opening verses. He says, you shall say to the house of Jacob, tell them, you yourselves... Well, first of all, he says in verse 3, he, goes, he, that he says, this is... Um, um, well, the Lord went up to God, the Lord called to him to the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, Tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And so, who is he? He is the God who initiates the covenant. He is Yahweh. And he's now recounting what he has done, how he has shown himself to be their covenant-keeping God. First of all, it says that he punished the unbelieving Egyptians. He, he poured out his wrath on them. Second, he rescued eagles, uh, rescued Israel, <laughs> got ahead of myself, on eagles' wings. Does God rescue eagles? I guess so. I don't know. He rescues everything. But he, he rescued Israel, and he says like on eagles' wings, and if you know anything about eagles and how they train their, you know, the, the little eagles how to fly, they push them out of the nest. And then if they don't fly, they swoop down and pick, take them up. And that's the image that we're supposed to see. Is, you know, again, as we, if, if you've read Exodus, there's no way you can think that Israel had a part in it. You know, that, they, that God was their co-pilot in their, in, their, in their Exodus. No, God did it all. God, God came and rescued them. They were slaves. They weren't a military force. But he brought them out. He won the day for them. And he even, by his supernatural strength and power, let them defeat the, Amalek, um, the Amalek. I mean, so God is doing it. He is, literally, that's a great picture. He's swooping down and picking them up and carrying them. Remember, I did it all. I gave you the water. I gave you the bread. I gave you passage through the sea. I gave you victory. He, I, I did it. By my wings you have been, you, you escaped to safety and are here now at Sinai. And then um, he, he punished Egyptians through the plagues. He rescued Israel. And now he's brought them to himself to be in his presence. He's introduced himself in this preamble. He's recounted his, his past relationships in this prologue. And now, he gives stipulations. God now, you see, requires Israel to keep the covenant by obeying his commands. And he summarizes his commands here. He doesn't give them all. We're going to see him elaborate on this on these requirements um, in chapters twenty through twenty three, the Decalogue and the Book of the Covenant. But now he 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 summarizes. And what is what is what are the stipulations? What are what are they to to be before God as as His servants? 
You're to be, he says, my treasured possession. You're to be a kingdom of priests. You're to be a holy nation. That sounds really good, doesn't it? <laughs> Look at verse 8. What happens? What does Israel say to that? Yeah! We'll do it. We'll do it. What does that mean? What do these three things mean, though? You know? And, and maybe you're struggling with, how is this a summary of what God requires in 20 and following? Well, again, again, what I'm saying is what, what the Scripture says again and again and again is that the context of the covenant, this, this covenant, even these requirements, the context is grace. And there is this if-then language here. If you do this, then. But think back. What did, I, what, what did he just say? He just recounted all that he had done for Israel. That, and we just remembered that he had already made a covenant with this people. So really what's being said is that now, now there's new conditions. Now I'm setting a new... I'm changing the contract. No, what he's saying is this. Is that you are my treasured possession. And I want you to live like it. You are my kingdom of priests. And I'm calling you to live like it. And be that. You are my holy nation by God's, by my grace and by my electing purpose and by my doing. Now, be my holy nation. See, this isn't do for me so that then I will bless. It's going, I've blessed you. I have made you thus. Now, step into that. Now, I'm calling you to Live this out. And in verse 20 and following, he's going to say just how that looks. You see, that, that's how we have to see God's law. It's not, here's, the, here's what you've got to do for me to love you. It's, I love you. You're my treasured possession. Get this. How, what does God own? What does it say? Everything, all the nations of the earth are His. But you... I treasure or set above, apart from all the others. You know, you, do you know, if you have a coin collection, a stamp collection, a jewelry collection, you, you have this stuff, but there's, you always have a favorite, right? You've got a favorite. That doesn't apply to kids. But like stuff, right? Okay? If it does, just don't say anything, right? But anyway, but you, you've got a favorite. And he goes, I... I I don't just own a little bit. I don't just have this track of land or this. Everything is mine, and above all things, you're most precious and valuable to me. Then he says, I want you to be a kingdom of priests. And what does that mean? What does a priest do? A priest goes before the Lord, represents the people, but represents God, the people to God, and God to the people. So what's God saying? Because you you're going to be the ones who make me known throughout all the earth. You're going to represent me in how you live to all the other nations. And then he says you're going to be a holy nation. You are going to 
react and live toward me in the way I've stipulated. You're going to be righteous and loving to one another and set apart as mine and live a holy and set apart life. We are his treasure. Israel is his treasured possession. They are his kingdom of priests. They are a holy nation. And Israel says, where do I sign up? I want to be that. Yes. We will do that. Yes. We want to live that out. Yes, God. Yes. We want to be who you've made us to be. Um, when you, um, I don't know, now everything, everything is on the computer now. Um, and I'm really bad about this. You know, I, I did not train as a lawyer. Uh, so when I'm buying something or doing something, there's always this long, like, 80-page list of requirements, right? <laughs> or things or stipulations in a contract. How many of you just scroll to the bottom and say, I accept? You know? I do that, I'm going, sure, I've done that. It, it's so quick now on the internet, you know, like, you don't even feel like you really signed a contract. When you buy a house, you, like, your hand gets tired, you know, you're signing, you're signing. And you read it, you pay someone else to read it. Did you read it? Is it good? Okay, I'm going to read it now. I don't understand what that means. Go back and change that. That's exhausting. Anyway, and, but you sign, you sign, you really feel it, right? At this point, you're kind of going, how, 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 could you, how could you agree to this covenant when you don't really understand what's going on? And you kind of get that they don't really understand who they're signing with. You know, who, who, who have they just made a deal with? They know that, he's, that this is the covenant God, the God who's rescued them, the God who loves them, the God, who, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's, there's things they just don't understand fully. And God wants to make them know. He wants them to know that there's, there's a, I want you to live in who I made you to be. I'm about to give you these, these laws to guide you and shape you. But you need to really understand who I am. I don't think you really get it. And he makes it clear. This is our second point. Israel must prepare to be in God's presence. And again, but up to this point, there's been a lot of, a lot of examples of God's power and might. Right? All the plagues, passing through the Red Sea, bringing water out of a rock, you know, making water out of nothing. But now he wants them to see what? His glory, his power. And he wants them to know that to draw near to God is no easy thing. Yes, I've extended my covenant to you. But it takes preparation to draw near to me. What does he want them to do? Look, he tells them, he goes, go and, and tell them to, to, be, to prepare themselves. He goes, I am coming. I'm going to show up on the mountain in this... Thick cloud in the Shekinah glory. I'm going to, I'm going to rest on the mountain, and I'm going to speak to you, Moses, and the people are going to see and behold me, not fully but partially. Behold me, my power, my glory, and hear my voice. But they need to prepare, and they are going to have to go wash, wash their garments, and like you know, sometimes you're like, well, is this kind of like when people come over, you know? 
Make sure the, the laundry's done and the house is cleaned up, you know? Y'all do that, right? It's hard to keep the house clean, by the way, and the laundry done, especially with six of us. We just keep getting dirty. Anyway, but why are they doing that? It's not because, oh, y'all got to clean yourselves up, look nice, you know, wear your tie. But it's, you're, you're he's saying to what? You're not worthy. You're not worthy to draw near. You're unclean, Israel. Again, this is, this is before the, 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 the sacrificial system's been explained. This is before all that's come. But right now, he's demonstrating, God's showing up, God's going to come to the mountain, but you've got to prepare. You are unclean. And this washing of their garments is getting ready. They're consecrating themselves. They're devoting themselves to prayer. And even says, and this is interesting, do not go near a woman. Anybody was questioning, what, what's going on there? This isn't, God's not anti-woman. Moses isn't anti-woman, right? But what he's saying is this. You remember, remember in the New Testament, and you know, get to 1 Corinthians, it talks about marriage, and marriage is good, and, and, and being, being intimate in marriage is good. But there's only time you shouldn't be is when you're what? Both devoting yourself to prayer. And so that, that's what this is saying. It's saying, I want you to, to hold off on all the normal activities and normal things you would do. Good things. But I want you to recognize that something amazing is happening and I want you to devote yourself to prayer and preparation. Be clean. Recognize you need to be clean. Recognize you're about to be in the presence of a holy God. This is the first time they've heard this. This is the first time this has ever been instructed. And it it will be very common from here on out. That God is holy and without sin and perfect and When he's coming, there needs to be cleansing to be in his presence. What else do they do to be prepared? They have to know the limits, don't they? You have to be clean to to come to the foot, but what what but they can't even touch the mountain. God is so holy and so righteous and so other than that. You, you His treasured possession, you His kingdom of priests, you His holy nation are not holy enough to even touch, set foot on the holy ground of Sinai. Well, is God talking out of both sides of His mouth? (laughs) You're holy, but you're not. Ah, you're starting to get it. (laughs) That... That's it. That's it. That's the, that's the point, isn't it? I've declared you to be my people, to be holy, to be blameless. But, but you're, you're not. And there's this threat of death, right? If someone crosses the line, it doesn't say necessarily that God's going to strike them down. But that if someone does, then... The people are to stone them or shoot them with an arrow, not even touch them, because they have violated, they have, they have gone where God said not to tread. So holy and powerful and other than is He, than His people. God was making sure they understood that they, that though, though they, He was extending His covenant, though grace was being poured out, 
they were not worthy. That exactly it was, it is grace. It is by grace they're receiving these promises. It's by grace they're receiving His covenant faithfulness. It's not because they deserve it. In fact, you're not even, you don't deserve to even come and touch the mountain that I'm upon. There needs to be preparation. There needs to be cleansing. There's a limit. There's a separation from God and His people because of their sin and their uncleanness. That brings us to the third point. Here, Yahweh reveals both His perilous glory and His loving provision. Can you... Have you read that? Can you, did you start to imagine what that would have been like? Did you picture it in your, in your mind? Like, just, okay, we've all been to Chiha, right? And I, I should have checked. The, I don't know if that's exactly the same elevation. It's probably not. It's smaller, right? But imagine Chiha, <laughs> right? Looking, okay, picture it. You can picture it. You've seen it many times. Imagine just coming over the hill of the bypass. I did that drive a long time when I lived in Jacksonville. Come over there, and it's just dark cloud. Thunder and lightning, fire, like you're not supposed to do a U-turn on that hill, but I would probably want to, right? Or back up. You're not supposed to back up, okay? But that would be your instinct. And, and God's instructed the people to come right up to the edge and wait and stand there while this... I guess it would look like a volcanic eruption in some ways. The worst storm you've ever seen. Uh, the worst volcano you've seen if you watch the discovery. This, this thing, this is lit. This is, you know, and it's shaking, it says. And you're standing there and the ground's shaking. Who's ever been in an earthquake? I haven't. I, I live in Mississippi and Alabama. I've never been in one. Anyway, but like, I, that, I see videos of that and I go, that, why would you even live there? You know, I don't even know, like, we live on a fault line. Why do you do that? Come over here. Anyway, but like the, the, the ground is shaking and there's thunder and, and, and there's a trumpet blast coming from heaven and, and, and it's getting louder and louder and the ground is shaking and, you know, and, 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 it, and there's fire and there's thunder and then God speaks through the thunder and says, Moses, come up here again. <laughs> Moses like, okay. Anyway... Israel hadn't seen that yet. And we, we were used to reading the Scripture and we go, oh yeah, that's a, that's a Bible thing to read. Yeah, God in the mountain and so Imagine being there. In, in Deuteronomy 9, it says even Moses was terrified as he recounts it. Everybody was scared to death in the presence of God. He's engulfing a whole mountain with His glory. And it felt like the world was coming undone. Don't come near. Don't even come close. You can't handle it. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. So where's the loving provision? The loving provision is this. Moses, come back up. 
And then he, when he gets there, he goes, go back down and get who? Aaron. I mean, if, if, the, if the book stopped there, how, how can this people be in His presence? How can He love them? How can He want them to be His kingdom of priests and His holy nation when they can't even come near? He says... I've appointed a mediator and I've appointed a priest. God's saying, I've got it figured out. God's saying, I'm going to make a way. And you know, for us, you know, we, you've heard it said in the church, you know, we talk about grace, we talk about God's love, but you've got to talk about the bad news to make sense of the good news. And this is the, ba- this is the bad news on display. This is God in His glory and righteousness. And we can't come near because of our sin. And it's not like... Sometimes I talk to people about about hell and about God's justice and His wrath and go, well, that's just mean. You know? It's kind of like, they think about it as though God puts out a, you know, that we're kind of like bugs and flies and He puts out like a, 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 a fly in on those lights, you know? Those bug zappers. And this puts a sign that says, don't come near. And the bugs just go, bzz, 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 you know, they're just, they're just dying, right? They think about God's wrath that way. Why would, you, why would you put that bug zapper out there? Why would you put that sinner zapper out there knowing you're going to get us? That was kind of funny. And... That was frizzy. And, uh, but it's, they're going like, but they're, t- they think about it as though there's a choice. Like, God, God's just being me. No, it's who He is. Do you get it? He is so holy and other than and righteous that to come into His presence as a, as a sinner would be to, you, we would be dissolved. There's nothing but rejection. I mean, it only makes, it's, it's who He is. He's perfect and righteous. He's not flippantly decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish these people. I'm gonna no. We all deserve to be undone in the presence of God. They're going, this is who our God is? <laughs> And that's how we're supposed to see Him. And when you you get to to the New Testament, as it's talking about this, if you go to Hebrews 12, it's talking about this this kingdom, this this God that that, uh, that can be seen but not touched, but now we have a kingdom that can't be be seen, but we can now draw near. It's not going, okay, God's nice. No, it, it talks about this Jesus coming back in Hebrews 12, I'm not going to read it all, coming back in glory. And if his, you thought His wrath and His judgment was, a, was, was terrible to behold in the Old Testament, wait till King Jesus comes back. That's what it says. And it's a call to repentance. In Hebrews. His glory is perilous. We cannot approach Him. But He makes a way. He assigns a mediator. And He assigns a priest. A, a someone who's just like the rest of them. Who's, who's, who's 
sinful and, and unworthy, but God says, I, I'm going to make, I want, I want to speak to my people. I want, to, I want you to be, my people to be represented to me and me to my people through the priests. And note this. This is weird conversation at the very end. This is how I know that this is God's loving provision. It's because He calls Moses back up and says, Hey, tell them again to stay back. Do you note that? And Moses is surprised. like, I already told them. We've got sentries. We've got markers. We've got orange cones. You know, I don't know if they're orange cones, but there's, you know, there's something. We, we've done it. Go back and tell them again not to draw near, lest I strike out against them. And that word for strike out against is when is the same phrase as when Uzzah, the guy who's they had the, you know, David says, you know what would be good is to put the Ark of the Covenant on this on this cart instead of carrying it, and someone reaches out to stabilize it and he's struck dead. He says, Tell them, tell them to stay back. It reminds me of I say this again and again to my girls. Watch the street. Look both ways. Be careful. Because I know that their little frame is no match for that ram pickup that lives across the street. Right? It says Dodge on the front, but they're not quick enough, you know? It... And I lovingly go, beware, don't go near. Look both ways, be careful. Don't touch the stove. Don't, don't drive too fast, Joseph. Don't. I love my children. I'm telling them, reminding them of what, what, what their boundaries are, the limits that they need to know. And God is saying, not, I'm a wrathful God, I'm going to get you. He's saying, you're not ready. You can't draw near. Stay back because I love you. He is a holy, glorious God and His glory is perilous and we are not worthy. But the good news is that through the cloud and through the earthquake and through the thunder and through the fire, He says, Moses, Aaron, come forward. And they're not perfect and they fall short. But what does that point to? The perfect mediator of the better new covenant a perfect high priest who makes a way. God doesn't just give us the word on tablets through Mo, through uh, through. Uh, he gives the word on tablets to Moses, but in Jesus, he he lives it. He's a living, breathing representation of God. He doesn't just uh, make. He's not like Aaron. Jesus isn't like Aaron who makes uh, sacrifices daily and yearly, but he is the sacrifice that satisfies divine wrath. God is holy and perilous and, and glorious to behold and we are not worthy. And he says, for three days I want you to prepare yourselves. For three days I want you to get ready. And they still weren't ready. But this God of glory, this God of holy, this holy, 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 speaks to his people, asks his people to draw near, and his whole, and you see even here, tipping his hand, his whole, the whole plan is to make a way. To make a way. 
for us to enter into his fellowship, to draw near. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus, the perfect lamb, the perfect high priest, he died. And in three days, what? He shows back up, glorified. And what does Mary do? Mary goes and touches him. The curtain is torn in two in the temple and this unholy, sinful woman, because of the work of Jesus, because of His death and His resurrection, after those three days of preparation and waiting, can touch Yahweh in the flesh. This is a covenant of grace stipulations given, not because of there's a new conditions, but because of who Israel is, because of who we are, God calls us to, to live out who we are. And as we go into the next week, as we go into chapter 20, we're not hearing this as, you better or else, but this is who you are. This is who I am. This is who I'm making you to be. This is how you live out this. This is how you are to be my treasured possession, my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. And the good news for you and me, we know we can't do it. Israel shows they can't do it. But through Christ and by His Spirit, we, we, are, we receive access and are more and more able to live out who we are in Him. Yahweh descends on Sinai, showing our unworthiness, our unholiness, but also showing that He is a God who keeps His covenant, who desires to be with His people and His people to be with Him, who desires for His people to be like Him. And He, through His mediation, through uh, the sacrifice of Christ, has make, is making it so. Let's pray. Lord God, we give You thanks for this Your Word. And Lord, help us to see if there are any here today that... Um, think your grace is cheap, that think that you are a pushover, I pray that we would be convicted of that, and to know that just because, Lord Jesus, you died and rose again, that, that doesn't take away from your glorious, your glory and your power and your wrath that will be poured out against sin. Um... But we thank you that you've made a way for us to, to draw near that we do not, um, because of your work, Lord Jesus, we are not, as believers, those who have put their trust in you, we're not quaking underneath Sinai, but we are drawing near to Mount Zion through the merits and blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that this meal that we're about to partake would just drive that truth home, that Sin deserves wrath, but Lord Jesus, you became sin for us. So that all who believe on you may draw near without fear. We thank you that your grace extends to us, that your covenant um, is never broken. And Lord, by your grace, help us to, to live a life worthy of you, to live out who we are, people who are your treasured possession, your kingdom of priests, your holy nation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.